Welcome to Lit with Kelly and Jacqueline, the podcast. If you're one of the people who have stopped by our blog at litwithkellyandjacqueline.com, thanks for reading and for finding us here. If this is the first time you've heard of us, we're glad you found the podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Jacqueline. And we're back here in the book cave with our sound engineer, Tim, uh, Moose the dog, and Grace the cat. And today we're doing a virtual book cave. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> because Michigan has taken a three-week pause because of our COVID numbers. So um, in order to honor those or, you know, honor those guidelines and make sure that we're being safe, we are we are Zoom podcasting today. So um, don't take it out on Tim if this sounds a little different than previously. And we are super pleased to welcome our guest podcaster today. <laughs> sounds like a drum roll. There we go. There we go. And she is... Jen Hassel. Jen is with us today because we are celebrating our... 10th episode milestone. Yep. So we picked a great book to discuss for our 10th uh, <laughs> episode milestone. <laughs> it's called Hell's Princess, The Mystery of Bal Gunnis, Butcher of Men by Harold Schechter. Um, this is a true crime fiction, right? So there's really going to be no spoilers here so much because maybe a little bit of a mystery, but just to give you a little bit of a background, uh, Belle is from uh, Norway, so she's Norwegian, and she uh, moves to Laporte, Indiana. She has a farm. So over the course, I think between 1902 and 1908, she lures uh, men to her farm. Um, now, mind you, she's a, a, a large woman, around 280 pounds. She writes letters to them, so they don't really know what she looks like, and she promises all kinds of things. And she entices them to cash out all of their earnings and bring cash to the farm and they come and they'll have a wonderful life together. And then she ends up butchering them. And just about 25 men fell into that trap. <laughs> so, <laughs> And uh, she, yeah, and then it's the whole trial and finding of the men. And I'm not going to tell you that part because you got to read the book a little bit. So we don't want to spoil everything, but so that's our true crime story for this episode. Yeah, she is the reason why I think people are nervous about, I don't know, meeting people that you, meeting people in person that you get in touch with on the internet. <laughs> right, she is like the the old time version of uh, internet dating. <laughs> yes. It went yes. through mail, right? It went through mail. So, and yeah. Yeah. Her, um, her tactics were, I mean, I hate to say this about her because she murdered everybody, but they were, they were genius. She was a good letter writer and she knew exactly what to say to convince people that they should bring all their money to Indiana. <laughs> and <laughs> I was really surprised. Had you guys ever heard of her before this book? No, I had not. No. no. For as prolific as she was and as much of a national and even international scene that seems to be based on the second half of the book, I was like, we, we've heard about H.H. H. Holmes and obviously Jack the Ripper, but I was just really surprised that this woman, I had never heard of her before. And it was just like, she killed how many people? <laughs> well, and you she know? had a lot of ties to Michigan too. I mean, like right? sightings up in Grand Rapids or, you know, you know, whatever. Oh, but we should say though, our drink of choice yeah. <laughs> today is in, in honor of Belle and her preferred uh, method of <laughs> right and her, what they Number call mid. murder farm right um 
we are drinking um, a drink called the X Murderer. And by the time you're done drinking it, you might might be <laughs> because it has gin, rum, tequila, vodka, triple sec, amaretto, Southern Comfort, or peach schnapps. I use peach schnapps. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was peach flavored and, uh, and a splash of 7-Up. So it's your equivalent of a Long Island iced tea with just instead of Coke, you got 7-Up, right? And grenadine. Yeah. So, so virtual cheers. Virtual cheers. Friends. Cheers. Thanks we'll for joining us today, Jen. It's pretty tasty. It's very strong. Oh, you think? I don't think it's strong at all. Girlfriend, really? <laughs> I yeah, I feel a little bit like I could set something on fire. <laughs> if I just breathed and used the right lighter. Hmm. I you know, don't think it's strong at all. I was thinking um, we would have to take a break because I know sometimes you guys do refills on your drinks and I don't know that this will be necessary. With this drink. <laughs> no, no, I think so. Rule in Long Island iced tea, which this is, is two. Oh, yeah. But I think I yeah. have a, a, a double, so we're good. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, and I have a shorty because that's the glass I had, but the second half is still in the mixer. So <laughs> or in the shaker. So we'll we'll get it later. So yeah, okay. so this axe murder is um, yeah, it's it's got a lot going on, and I was le- I was less thinking that Kelly and more like maybe it would feel like you took an axe to your own head if you had too many. Of them, well, right, right, well, right. Yeah. Tomorrow, so, right, <laughs> right, yeah. It's funny and, when you can find out when you can when you search for cocktails that have the word axe in it. What <laughs> comes up? Is that what you did? Yes. <laughs> I did. We do a lot of really in-depth research on this podcast, everybody. <laughs> I did. I was like, okay. Oh, I love know? that. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Jen, what are you reading now well, besides I, Hell's Princess? Besides Hell's Princess. Um, actually, the book I just finished a couple of days before Hell's Princess is, is really the book I want to talk about because <laughs> it's, it's okay. the best book I've read all year. And it's uh, a lot of people have read it. It's ca- that cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Um, what's the subtitle? The Origins of Our Discontents. Um, it's just amazing. Uh, nonfiction uh, about basically um, how America really is actually foundations on slavery and the ripple effect through uh, today. Um, that's a really, really poor synopsis, but it's really powerful. And it's also um, they're they're I guess they're making a movie of it. And Ava DuVernay, sorry if I butchered her last name, is the, is directing. And she directed that um, the thirteenth, the thirteenth, thirteenth. So it has some similar elements as to um, what American exceptionalism in the history we've told ourselves. Um, it's it's heartbreaking and also um, just it was just fascinating. So I would highly highly recommend it. Um, and then I'm reading one about how horror is uh, has its genesis in World War One because I love everything World War One. So it's called the Wasteland. Okay. It's uh, the Wasteland, the Great War, and uh, the origins of modern horror. So how sort of everyone came out of the First World War very, very badly messed up, and uh, how that changed art moving forward, including horror writing and horror films and that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's good. But cast definitely recommend cast. Okay. Kelly, what are you reading? Um, well, I just finished this book at 10 o'clock this morning, so <laughs> I am not reading anything right now. I'm, I can't decide if I want to go into uh, another true crime novel. Okay. Um, which is the, um, what's the one? I'll Be Gone in the Dark by... There we go. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah, but I don't know if I want to be scared. So I, I'm waffling. 
but I'm not reading yeah. it right now. I got to find my next book. That's my thing. I got to find my next book. So, okay. Were you scared when you read I'll Still Be Gone in the Dark, Jacqueline? You read it? <laughs> yeah. So I think I said this on an earlier episode, but I was, I was floating on my raft in the pool while I was reading it. And I, I, in my the back of my yard is a tree line. I had my back to the trees and I'm reading it. And for those of you who haven't read it, this is a book, a true crime book about the Golden State Killer, serial killer. And I heard it. I heard a rustling in the trees and I like couldn't get out of the pool fast enough because I couldn't figure out where the noise had come from. And I was like jumping around, but I was, I was reading a library copy of the book. So I was trying really hard not to drop it in the water. <laughs> like scrambling for the side. So yeah, I, that one I had to stop reading before bed because it was creeping me out. It was great, but it creeped me out. Yeah. Same. Yeah. There was definitely a time where I was like, Doors we'd never locked, windows we'd never closed, things we never worried about. Put putting putting posts in sliding glass doors. Steve's like, what is happening right now? I was like, just get out of my way. You need to lock this shit up tight. <laughs> Let me read this passage out loud to you, and then tell me you don't want to block this door. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Why is that truck out there? Why is that van out there? <laughs> yeah. No, that was a scary one. So Kelly, just be aware that it gets dark early right now. I know it does. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe save that one. So, All right. Okay. So I am currently, I just picked up um, The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Um, that one's been all over my online suggestions. Yeah, and, I, I see that all over. So I'm going to see if that's any good. Um, on Cloud Library, I just grabbed Next Year in Havana by Chanel Cleeton, which I think if it's not the first in a trilogy, it's maybe like, the first in like a related set of books. Maybe they're not like a series, but they're intertwined somehow. I think that's right. Um, and I also have an old one by Ellen Hildebrand called Summerland that I'm working on. Thanks to Kelly for dropping that off earlier this week. <laughs> so let's talk about Belle for just a second. What they never talked about was motivation other than she was a psychopath. And that was in the summary. I mean, really, that's all they talked about. Like, Right. There was talk about how people in Norway thought she was like mean and cold, but they were, this was after they had revealed everything. So like everyone has a revisionist history when they know, Oh, someone murdered 25 people. Yeah. She was kind of a bitch when she was a kid. It's like, well, <laughs> talking about that very thing, Jen, in, in, well, the author did Harold um, talking about every time they wrote a newspaper article or they interviewed somebody, it wasn't, this whole thing was not very well researched. It was very, <laughs> Well, yeah. well, right. And you know, the other thing that struck me about the whole thing is like you were reading newspaper articles. Basically, the whole story is told through, which is which is not a problem because how are you going to get the information? Nobody's alive anymore. Right. Right. But the language that the news stories like. So your organs weren't burned or charred. They were cooked. Did you notice that throughout the whole book when they talked about the dead bodies? It was yes. like, yeah, the organs were cooked. And it's just like, okay, really, really, is that really the term that a, um, um, a, an autopsy person, what do you call it, what forensic scientists would use that the organs were cooked? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I did have that very thought that journalism has changed. I mean, a lot, every person <laughs> a has lot. Changed, of course, but like, I just remember thinking like, Journalists don't write with as many adjectives now. <laughs> like there are a lot more, right. like, whether they're right or wrong or they're, crazy bought out by some corporation they, it's just i was amazed at how much creative writing was in journalism back then 
it's kind of sketchy. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was just, it was just fascinating to me, the circus. And I mean, the, the people that stood there in droves while they dug up the bodies, like just wait. I mean, everybody has morbid curiosity, right? I mean, in anything you go down the highway and there's an accident and everybody slows down because they want to see what's going on. But, and then the whole, uh, like in the trial where the one uh, minister wrote about the, the women that attended, because it was mostly women that attended <laughs> And he was like dissing them. And it's like, seriously? I was kind of like, that guy needs to go. <laughs> right. Can we talk about things that aren't um, from the book? Mm-hmm. I asked because, so I um, I listened to this podcast called Lore. And um, they did an episode on her. I, I found about three years ago. Anyways, he mentioned, and I, I don't know what his reference point is, is that when she was still living in Norway and she was 17 or 18 years old, she uh, was knocked up and uh, went to the gentleman who uh, got her pregnant and he uh, at, at like a function, like a social function. And he like knocked her down and kicked her in the stomach till she miscarried. And oh, so, you know what? They referenced that in the very, that- like her, like when they were talking about her motive and stuff, they he referenced that her atrocious experience with one man or whatever while she was in Norway. Okay, yeah. See, there wasn't, and I don't know that the the, the guy there was no references in the podcast, believe it or not. So um, I didn't know to take that with a grain of salt because his some of his story was different than what the book said. So I don't, I didn't know if that was right. true. Um, and 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 even that horrendous experience shouldn't make one a murderer of twenty five to forty people. <laughs> Um, well, but, because it wasn't only, it was like greed too. Like it wasn't only about men. She wanted money. So. I'm looking for the scene. I, cause I want to go back to the circus that you mentioned, Kelly, because <laughs> I, like, I laugh. you would think that in a book about a serial killer, I would, there would have been no laugh out loud scene. The first weekend that the farm was open to visitors and they were expecting something like 10,000 people. 10,000 people didn't show up that weekend at the Gunnett's farm. 20,000 did. <laughs> right. Right. And like people couldn't get enough. Like it, and they, and they were watching them. Like it wasn't just that they were going to the farm to visit the scene of like an infamous crime. They were watching and they dug bones out of the ground and people were like stealing stuff. And cause they wanted a souvenir or whatever of this. Hashtag yeah. murder farm. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Think about, like, if you're an observer on that farm, think about the smell. If you were going to go there and stand and watch them dig bodies up, you would have to be close enough to see something. Otherwise, what would be the point? So if you're close enough to see something, you're probably close enough to smell it. That's probably true. And that's kind of stomach turning. Yeah. You know, a lot of them were in the hog pen that she actually fed the bodies to the hogs. So there might not have been as much as many corpses. Okay. So wait, do you think hogs eat human flesh? Oh, absolutely. Oh. And then they use the hogs and the sausages. They sell the people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, cause the very first death is a sausage. It's, it's Peter Gunnis, right? He, and, and a sausage grinder falls and hits him in the head. So they were making sausage out of pork. And they were pig farmers. I did not know that they were feeding them to the hogs. Well, it would have kept the smell down. (laughs) I mean, just the smell of an active farm with animals on it might have helped camouflage some of that too, right? Right. I mean, all right, so let's talk about Ray. Okay, can I talk about one thing before we get to Ray? Yes, yes. She killed people before she lived on this farm. Her first husband died in Chicago, and so did his children. 
Right. But then she claimed that Peter, like back with the like original, if this if this is the original murder, she told the doctor he came home with a headache and she gave him a powder. And then two hours later, he was dead. And the doctor was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Right. <laughs> and then their shop burned down. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, let's talk about Ray. I don't I was, know what to think about that one. I got to tell you, there's a lot of stories going around there. I don't know what to believe. So first, no. Ray was her handyman, right? Yep. Through most of this, right? Well, until the fire, right? Right. But I mean, like, was Ray the handyman from kind of like the get-go from all the men she invited? Andrew came to the farm. Yes. And then she let Ray go, right? Yes. And I think Andrew was kind of her, like biggest fish so to speak right he was bringing the most money he was she worked really hard to get him to that farm so i think she was waiting for the payoff <laughs> so. well it was like almost a year wasn't it i mean it was over a year by the time she he actually came to the farm yeah yeah and i'd like to go back to something kelly said earlier i was explaining this to somebody else in the letter right like how much money do you have come to my farm don't tell anyone you're coming you can tell them <laughs> later <laughs> And come now. Like part of me was, I, I mean, I got, we're really, I know we're reading this with hindsight, but I'm like, come on, dude. What is right. happening? And they kept coming. What? Yeah, but wasn't she preying on like lonely Norwegian men? Because generally they all had ties to, to Norway, right? Yeah, it was in a Scandinavian paper. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine a very specific newspaper. <laughs> yeah. And so they were lonely and she, she took advantage, right? I it, And I had the thought that it was like, uh, taking advantage of, you know, like the old person when you're trying to scam them, you know, like the call up on the phone and say your granddaughter, your granddaughter, grandson needs money. It's just like playing on that vulnerability. So is your is your um, uncertainty, Kelly, about whether or not Ray set the house on fire or whether or not Ray knew that this was going on? Um, I my uncertainty is that he set the house on fire. I think he knew what was going on. I don't know that I that I believe that he set the house. I, I mean, I get he kind of confessed. I mean, and I don't know. There was a lot of confessions. And I, I just don't know. I was just going to say, the whole second half of the book is the trial. Right. Which I do think is where the book slowed down significantly. It was hard yes. to get to the second half. <laughs> right. Um, as to whether Ray, how involved Ray was, if at all to, to the to the worst degree and that he helped her do everything and is first degree murder to the least degree as he knew nothing and didn't start the fire right right That's the range maybe it's because we knew the first half of the book was all about bell and i think this is what they tried to state in in the trial right it was hard for me to feel that ray had any involvement because she was so terrible i was like well like if you knew someone was murdering people do you rat them out to the authorities because you're going to be murdered next <laughs> Didn't they say that um, Ray um, murdered Andrew? I don't remember that. Maybe it was one of the supposed confessions. You know, there were so many confessions towards the end that, yeah, uh, Ray was jealous of Andrew because uh, Andrew took his place on the farm. And that uh, so out of a jealous rage, Ray murdered Andrew. So that's the only one that he would have been guilty of. Remember that being an allegation on Bell's part to... Oh, okay. At Ray, but I could be wrong. That's, no, that's what I that's, yeah. I I could go back and look, but well, and I think the the thing they really wanted to pin on him, the prosecution, is that he murdered Bell and the children, and less Bell because nobody felt bad for Bell when he set the house on fire. Either he went in premeditatedly, 
oh, that drink is catching up. <laughs> he went ahead before. Let's use the word before. <laughs> he went ahead before and killed everybody, which would have meant intent, as opposed to lighting the house on fire and accidentally killing the people in it, which is the difference between like manslaughter and first degree murder, right? Like, did he go in and kill Belle and her children and then light the house on fire? Or did he light the house on fire and they happened to die in the fire? So do you guys think that he he started the fire? I'm just curious. No, I don't think he did anything. <laughs> oh, okay. You don't either? Okay. I think that he I think that he got roped into burying some bodies early on, figured out what was going on. When this new guy showed up, he took it out and got out of there. And I think he was blackmailing her to get as much money as possible. And in doing so, didn't admit things to the authorities he probably should have. And then got caught not having admitted. I don't think he had anything to do with that particular incident. I do think that he knew what was happening there, but I don't think that he had anything to do with the fire. Okay. But I mean, I don't have any proof. That's just, that was just, well, well, there's no proof in any of this, this book, right? I mean, nothing is, it's all like hearsay. I mean, how are you going to find proof now as you go back through, you know, but what I was glad about was that, um, when they found those bodies in the basement of the house or the cellar of the house after the fire, that nobody just assumed it was her. Like, I do think it's interesting that they were like, maybe it's not Belle. You know, I, I can't remember exactly what motivated them to believe that, but I did think it was interesting that they immediately weren't like, Oh, it's such a tragedy. Everyone's gone. It was let's make sure that the crazy psychopathic serial killer actually died in the fire. Oh, right. Yes. I think it was because Peter Gunnis, her original husband, who, right, didn't he own the farm first? I can't remember how they met, but I think I think that was his property when he, he died. He died. Yeah. Everyone was like, what? So she's got two dead husbands. And I think when Peter Gunnis died, the community knew him and didn't buy it for a second. Remember, she went on she went on trial for his murder and was acquitted. So they didn't trust her. So I think that is part of why they were suspect of whether the body in the, in the cellar was hers or not. I kept wondering why there were only two options. And we should talk. The reason they didn't know it was her body was because the head was missing. Right. The head was missing. <laughs> Which. Right. And mm-hmm. and so my whole thing about that. So like when they found her body, they kept saying her head was burned off. Right. Yeah. And then her arm was burned off to the shoulder and then her and then, you know, whatever was going on. It's like, okay, when you get burned, does it really just burn one thing like that? And just, you got a, a clean cut? Like, is your head really just cut off like that? And the rest of the body doesn't burn? So is your head the only thing that's in the fire and the rest of the body is not? Right. It is weird. It is. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So her head was missing. Her head was missing. Yes. That is, I think like, her arm was missing. You're right. And it was, a, it was at joints. Yes. So it wasn't just like rough. <laughs> just like, like all the bodies. Right. It wasn't cooked. It right. wasn't cooked. <laughs> and you wouldn't think that the bone, the material that is bone on your arms would burn more because it was your skull or your left arm than your rib cage or your legs. And then they find all these bodies in the garden that are funny, missing heads and limbs. Like I'm like, people. <laughs> Just like cut off like that. Okay, let's just talk about this one thing for a minute. Do you remember when the one uh, forensic scientist was on trial or was giving testimony and he was talking about how he was going to determine the weight of the woman 
and that two thirds. So he decided that um, when you're cooked, you shrink. <laughs> so he he um, he he cooked a piece. So he was thinking that a piece of meat, like I, what, like a, a nine pound prime rib steak, when you cook it. It loses two thirds of its fat. So his basis on how much fat a person, because the, the the torso, the leftover body part that had been burned was 73 pounds, right? And so if you use the same measurement, so to speak, that you would for meat, that when it's cooked, it loses two thirds of its fat. Well, then if you use that same thing for this body, then this body would have weighed 200 pounds. And that was his scientific analysis of how, a cooked body happens. <laughs> We've come a long way. <laughs> he tried to draw some comparison, something that made sense to him. But yeah, it um, that was comical. That was that was funny. Oh, yeah. And they kept like there were two theories, right? It was that Ray was involved, and he either killed the family or lit the fire, and Belle was dead, or Belle did it, and she escaped. And I kept wondering, couldn't it have been? That or that Belle did it and she was dead. That's what it was. It was Belle did it and she was dead. Like, couldn't it have been that Belle had this woman that people apparently saw her with to be her maid and used her body, killed her and used her body and made off with the head? And Ray had nothing to do with it. Like, it seemed like it was weird that it it could have only been that Ray was involved and Belle was dead or that Ray. I don't know. I'm. Why isn't there a certain theory that she that she had a, a female body like? on standby to make this happen right is that what that's you mean? my that's what i think i mean there had to that like i don't believe that bell is dead i i don't so that was a stand-in body right and it, because it had all the signs of what bell did to those men right cut off the arm cut off the head you know butcher them into little pieces so women should be in charge this is what i keep saying women should be in charge because these men are just so stupid I like your segue. That was great. <laughs> Just saying. It's like, seriously. Uh, yeah. Funny. But I don't know where she went. Like, why couldn't anybody? And, you know, they thought they almost found her. Right. Yeah. In California. But, so where did she go? Well, she could have gone anywhere. For all the people who saw her in Michigan and Chicago and like places where she had been before. I was like, listen. When you know you're notorious, you don't go somewhere where people know you, right? Like well, those, they could have just eliminated all of those suspicions because she wasn't. What if she went back to Norway? They wouldn't no. have her. There was a a woman who was working as a housekeeper for someone, Esther and Carlson, he, and he died. Hmm. And he just before that happened had changed his will, right? Right. So it had all the signs, right? But yeah, they did work that out, didn't they? I'm pretty sure they. I thought I thought they said conclusively at the end of the novel that the Esther Carlson, who was the who was the maid or the housekeeper in California, was not. Even though things looked like it could have been, I thought that's what the conclusion was. Yeah, that's and, what I thought it was too. And and to be fair, I don't I don't I don't really care about serial killers or true crime. As I'm reading this book, I'm realizing I know a lot more about this stuff than I realized. I read a, a book last year called Lady Killers, and it's, it was all about famous, notorious. It's by Tori Telfer. Really good. But um, I was amazed at how how the poisoning of 
spouses slash people who you could get money out of their death from was far more common than we think today in our in our modern sensibilities as being kosher because they didn't have DNA evidence and it was a lot harder to link things to people. So I guess when I read that part at the end of the novel about Esther, Esther and her her friend who maybe worked together with the death of the older gentleman, I thought, I bet that happened a lot. But it didn't happen a lot all like with one person doing it all the time. Like it happened a lot once. You had an abusive spouse. I'm not justifying. (laughs) (laughs) And one person ended the life of one person because it was awful and life insurance. And then you were out, you know? So I guess I didn't take that to mean like, oh, this happened and it was the same. I, I bet that happened a fair amount. You could poison people easily. Intestinal problems, throwing up. Yeah, man. Right, right, right. Well, and they didn't have testing back then, you know, no one's right. And that requires an autopsy. And when do you do an, You don't do an autopsy every time a person dies. Right. Right. Um, this is not a story that I expected to read. I, I, again, I thought her method of luring people in was pretty ingenious for the time frame. I, I wish there had been a little bit more about the psychology of it in here, other than yeah. they just determined that she's, she has what, you know, the characteristics of what would later be called a psychopath. Right. Um, but it it would have been interesting to delve into, you know, what even if it was because the entire thing was speculation, right? Even if it was speculation on what what could have yeah motivated her to take these drastic actions. Um, I know that they talked about her upbringing and how rough it was, and these you know um, these tragic circumstances surrounding several life major life events. I I get that, but. Um, I, I liked, I liked reading about this, even though it was, <laughs> it was a pretty grisly story. Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting that so many people were, I mean, they were, they were astonished that a woman did this, right? Cause it's just, they just weren't anticipating that it was going to be such a brutal outcome and this, and this whole murder farm run by this one, one woman. So it turns out you're talking about, you read this woman lady or the book lady killers. Um, so Harold Schechter also wrote a book called Fatal, and that's about a nurse who was poisoning patients as like for fun. Oh <laughs> so wow! For she was like a well-known nurse at this hospital, Jolly Jane, and she yeah she was um, like experimenting on patients and poison and like and deriving pleasure from watching them fully die as she was poisoning them with medication. So he so he's. He wrote that plus a few other true crime tales. Um, but again, I think it's I think it's always it's always a little bit surprising to people somehow, even though what you're saying, Jen, is that I think maybe it did happen more than we know, um, that women were capable of of these atrocities. <laughs> so Right. And you know, that's probably what the draw was, like in nineteen hundred, you know, the this woman and I mean, how often would you see that back in 1900 that a woman was a serial killer, right? Had the ability, I mean, a big, I mean, to take out these burly men. I mean, some of these men were big men. And so how, I mean, granted, she poisoned them first and then cut them up, but. It was a machine. Like she knew what she was doing. Right. (laughs) And I definitely got the impression, it's funny how we are about violence versus sex, right? Like it gave a lot of violent details, but not, but I got the impression that some of those letters she sent 
she made some pretty graphic for its time promises and probably delivered on them when these men showed up at her farm. Oh, right. I got the impression she was not holding back the sexual favors when men showed up on her farm. And, you know, I'm looking from 2020 eyes, but I don't know how common that was you know we, we think we think of today as everyone being you know kardashians and wearing no clothing and like you know Pornhub and all that kind of stuff but like how was that stuff back then just as common just kept under the rug or was it really kind of crazy to come across a woman who was both single and had money and wanted to please you or pleasure you in any way you wanted and yeah i'll drink that beer i don't feel so good <laughs> right <laughs> like she probably was like well you know I can do a couple things for a half hour. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, right. I definitely got the impression that it wasn't just her letter writing, but it was what she included in those letters and what she may have even done on their arrival, you know, between going to the bank and cashing their check. <laughs> right. And then coming back to the house. Right. Yeah. yeah. Did, did those, did those promises entice people to, to get there i mean obviously get there faster right like they they were it was easier to sway them to leave everything they knew bring their money because not only were they promised this investment in a successful farm but also yeah this single lady who was making some promises that she yeah delivered on so except for andrew andrew didn't come like right away like he didn't he didn't arrive right like I said, it took him almost over over a year. He didn't like yeah there were things that were happening in his life that that prevented that. Well, right, right, or at least that's what he was telling her. I don't know if he was suspicious. I just think it was like circumstances. Right, right. but he's also the only one that didn't bring all of his money. Right, so all the rest of them cashed out everything they owned and brought it with them, and he's the only one come to find out that didn't bring all of his money. And he's the one that was her undoing because he was the last one. He was the one that Ray was jealous of and, and came back the night. What was it? Michigan City. He was supposed to stay overnight. Um, he didn't. And and maybe or maybe n- not overheard because he was jealous, you know, conversations they had and then got roped into the, maybe the actual only murder that Ray actually witnessed. You know, he may have taken many a body out to the pig farm in a gunny sack, not not knowing or acting uh, what willful, willfully ignorant of what he was doing. Dig a hole. Here, take this bag out. But I think Andrew was the one who there was like it's it was implausible to say that he didn't know what was happening. He was either either he saw it from under the basement or wherever he was supposedly eavesdropping. And then once she saw or knew that he was he was in it. Right. He helped with that body. And she right. knew. Right. Right. Um, and if he, you know, he just seemed too innocent and not naive, but maybe, I don't know, stupid's not the right word, but maybe he overthought it. Like if he had just would have gone to the authorities from the get go, but he was, he thought he could make a buck. I was going to say he thought he was afraid. I don't think he was afraid. I thought he, I think he thought he could make a buck. I think he thought he was smarter than her. Right. And he could make a buck on blackmailing her and using that the information he had on her to make money. And and she was smarter than him. And right. She was smarter than a lot of people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I thought it was a fascinating tale. It was. It was. I'd recommend it. Yeah. And all those dead kids. Like, you know, we keep talking about all these men that she lured and this handyman. She <laughs> the <laughs> no. kid from her first husband. Not her children, but the kids that her first husband in Chicago had. When she moved to the farm, 
Peter Gunnis's kids, the kids she had, the one she adopted, that Jenny, whatever her name that she was supposedly sent out to, like she didn't care. She didn't right. care about anybody's babies. Like she was terrible. <laughs> right. She uh, so she was like, yeah, not only a psychopath, but I'm also thinking a sociopath. I mean, she had no, she didn't care for anyone. Right. She had no feeling. The um, precision with which she took care of these bodies. I mean, just the amount of practice that must have taken was just indicative of the fact that this was something that just came naturally to her. Right. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, I had, right. I had never heard of her before. I thought it was, I thought it was a good story. I'm with you that it dragged a little bit in the second, in, in the second half, that trial maybe could have been a little shorter, but uh, yeah. Made me look up a little poor Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think I got to go visit. I pulled it up on Google I'm just Maps. telling you, I gotta go. Fit, I think I'm gonna have to go visit. There's a so. geocache on the location of her farm. <laughs> oh, see, maybe we need to go geocache on on that farm. <laughs> huh. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. I'm surprised with all the remakes and all the movie scary movies that they're like. We've got like 15 Jack the Ripper movies, and no one's grabbed this lady's story. <laughs> you know, as as prolific as she was, she was. Like, she's kind of an unknown, I think. I mean, I, I was surprised. So. This is an aside because I really like this author. I, If you read the information about the author of this book, Harold Schechter, um, he is the dad of the young adult author, Lauren Oliver. Did you guys know oh, that? Oh, I do know. Yes. Yeah. Um, I like Lauren Oliver. And so um, when, I, when I saw that in the back, I thought, oh, that's cute. That's they write very different books. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But yeah, he does. He is he is a writer of lots of things, true crime. So if you were into this one, take a look at the others. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up Hell's Princess. So listeners, we are going to take a little bit of a hiatus here through Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, so Kelly and I will be back with a new episode on January 14th, 2021, hoping that um, we can get back in the same space to do our recording. Maybe COVID numbers will be down by then. And we're going to, re- what are we going to read, Kelly? Uh, Viola, Viola Shipman, The Heirloom Garden. Yes. <laughs> Michigan author. And uh, that heirloom garden was the newest title by that writer in 2020. So we're going to take a look and go to that one. So if you want to read and listen in on January 14th, that'll be our next title. A couple other true crime books we did already talk about. I'll be gone in the dark. Um, if you haven't read uh, Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, that's another good serial killer title. That's the H.H. Oh. Holmes murder hotel, right? And, um, and I'll, I'll admit that in my early twenties, I went through a pretty serious true crime phase where I read a lot of them. Um, but one that stuck out for me and because, you know, you talked about, well, we, we don't, we didn't talk about kids a lot today, Jen, but this one was called from cradle to grave. And it was about a woman who killed like nine babies and it was really, really tragic. So, um, that's another one. If you want to delve further into true crime, there are lots of them out there. The classic recommendations like Helter Skelter and the Anne Rule one about Ted Bundy. And there's one more big one. Oh, in cold blood, right? Oh, right. Yeah. So further, <laughs> further true crime suggestions for your holiday season. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, guys. Here's everybody. Bye. Cheers. Thanks. Happy holidays. Thanks for inviting me. It was so much fun. 
Thanks. Bye. Okay.